When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? One on one conversations with some of your favorite artists. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that just wanted a PS4 but ended up spending thousands on podcasting equipment, it's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most weekends are available to download later in your podcast feed, unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Whoa. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I'm joined by my co-host, who I wouldn't even trade for two full snaps of a Slim Jim. It's Andrew Ormsby. Oh, thank you. Ahoy. And each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. Uh, that that filter didn't really change much, man. Just kind of. Oh, it didn't. I mean, well, it just it just added like a little robot tinge. Just okay, yeah. It's a it's a RoboCop filter, so. Uh yes, yes. Mm. Uh yeah, no. I it was it was definitely different, but I was like, oh, it's just it's robot Andrew. Look, it's robot yeah. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Robo Drew. What what's the difference between uh, Robo Drew and regular Drew? Uh, Robo Drew is always on time. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that would make sense, I guess. That would make sense. Yeah. Uh, how you holding up, man? Like it's, I'm it's good. Okay, good. It's still the thing. The thing is still happening. People are still uh, being requested to stay at home. Although here where we're at, you know, the state is saying, "Hey, we're going to start, you know, loosening back into things." Are, are you feeling? Yeah. good? Are you feeling good about that? How you feeling? As long as I got my masks and stuff like that, I, I, I'm all for it, you know? Yeah. It's it's one of those things, I don't know if it's selfish or not, you know, but the youth in me is like, ah, I'm invincible. I can, you know, take, this thing isn't going to get me and stuff like that. But then, you know, it dawns on me, oh, yeah, this quarantine is not for me. It's for the immune compromised mm-hmm. and the elderly and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, because you and me, we may be fine, but then we pick it up and we don't even show any symptoms and we hand it off to a bunch of people who pick it up and hand it off to a bunch of people. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's that whole kind of thing. I've been I've been watching the numbers and again, we're no experts. It's so funny, like every podcast I listen to, I feel like I'm repeating what they say, which is we're going to talk about it because it's everybody's life right now, but we're not experts, but we're trying to look at the experts and kind of listen to see what's going on. And I watch the numbers mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it looks kind of like, you know, there's a slope happening down, but so much of that is influenced by what's happening in New York because those numbers are so big uh, in New York that when New York is going down, which it is right now, it looks like the whole country's going down. But that could be very, you know, deceiving, and I don't know. It's it's one of yeah. those things where I just I just want to keep listening to the smart people who are, you know, really studying this and uh, doing what they say. So, 
Um, that's yep. that's what I'll keep trying to do. Curve. Yeah, yeah. Keep trying to do that. So who knows where it'll go, when it'll end. I think we all have to be ready for the psychological ramifications of when it ends too, right? Like there's this thing where you get in this mode where I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to make sure, you know, I don't become part of the problem. Well, eventually, hopefully, there will be a time where going out is the right thing to do. And so that psychological shift, like being ready for that and understanding when that is, is that, that may be one of the harder parts about it, too. Oh, yeah. It's going to be interesting. Might not be the uh, the best word to use, but it's going to I think it'll be interesting to see what a post COVID-19 world looks like. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like, you know, like as soon as it's over and stuff like that. I mean, what will be the permanent after effects of this whole thing? Like what, what will change? Yeah. And we've talked a lot about kind of the movie side of those things. And that's certainly a part we're interested in. Um, You know, we've got, we've got a a great show we're going to get to. We're going to actually review a movie that came out, although on, you know, what (laughs) on HBO, uh, and yeah. then a TV show that came out as well. But um, but since we don't usually, uh, because there isn't a lot of movie news, since we don't usually do Do We Care, I did see a piece of news that actually came out this morning that kind of relates to what we're talking about, which is... Is it the Amazon? No. No, what's the Amazon oh, okay. thing? Oh, Amazon's thinking about buying AMC. Oh, yeah, well... There you go. I've been saying. Well, I, I thought maybe it would be into being Disney, but no, nah, that does that does not surprise me whatsoever. Uh, mm-hmm. That the the content companies might buy theater chains. Um, yeah. So what what you got? What's the news? Well, this morning they they uh, Disney Plus announced that they're uh, bringing the Hamilton movie, uh, which is just the original cast of Hamilton doing the the stage uh, musical. Um, that was supposed to come out in theaters next year, that they're going to release it on Disney Plus July 3rd of this year. So they're moving it up like an entire year and releasing it digitally uh, instead of in theaters. And it's just like, it's just another sign that these studios understand that short term or long term, they're going to have to figure out what the new world looks like. And man, I think it's a great, I think it's a really smart thing for them to do that. Uh, during this time, I think that that makes a lot of sense. But it's just again another reminder that that things are changing. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, also, you know, there's just so much that I personally am like, wow, I never thought you would see me doing that in my life. Or uh, I, I think you know, wearing masks and mm-hmm. stuff like in public. Right. The because you know. You look at uh, Japan and China and stuff, and they've been doing that for ever, ever since you know SARS and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, first hit. You just see people walking around with masks on. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, that sounds that just looks so foreign to me. And now, that's my life. Yeah, you know, it's it's just crazy. Yeah, and how the uh, entertainment world is dealing with it. You know. Uh, it's because with Hamilton specifically, you know, like there's something pure, I guess, about theater that uh, it's going to be weird to see how that art form is affected by all of this. Because, you know, it it demands a live audience. It, it does. And to see and to see it, you know posted and i know it's already had its run on you know broadway and stuff like that but the whole point was immediate live feedback and if you just have recordings of it 
well, then it's just a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it, I am fascinated by the idea of what is going to happen in the short to medium to long term of audience-based events. Because theater is probably the primary example, because even sports, you can watch a sports competition and get something out of it that you already wanted to get out of it, like rooting for a team or against a team or seeing a cool athletic display or or whatever. Um, But as far as theater, it's so dependent on that crowd feedback that that you can you can play the nba finals if you want to in some domes and shut it off and i actually think that would be really cool i would i would love to hear the sounds of the game in that way not blocked out by you know a huge crowd and not influenced by the the sway of the building i think that could be really interesting um and i and in the same way i'm interested to see hamilton in this format, but it's just, I don't know. There's something different about it. So, yeah, well, the UFC, uh, just had their first fight, uh, this past weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's the first sporting event to, uh, come back. And it was really weird watching it because normally, you know, if there's a great punch or a kick or something that lands, that whole arena just erupts with, Oh, and stuff like that. But, to hear just the punch and then uh, nothing afterwards was a really weird uh, uh, feeling because normally you only see that in like sparring and stuff. Right. But, uh, it didn't take away from th- the the talent and the skill that was being displayed. I still had a great time watching it uh, because you could actually hear them like talking to each other and stuff in the ring, which is always, you know, drowned out mm-hmm. by uh, the crowd and stuff. So it, it felt more personal, but at the same time, having that immediate, you know, arena eruption, I didn't realize how much I loved that until it was gone. Yeah. I I heard something about this. Uh, I, I mean, you know, it's the, those uh, gladiator type sports aren't aren't my favorite thing. Uh, a couple things I heard, though, were number one, that it felt a little more brutal because, like you said, the only time you're used to seeing that is in a street fight or a spar or something like that. And so the punches and the kicks and that kind of stuff stuff felt uh, more uh, real, they said, you know, just like, oh, that's actually happening kind of thing. But the more yeah. interest, the more interesting thing to me was the fact that the combatants talked about how the play-by-play people influenced their fighting because they could hear what the play-by-play announcers yeah. were saying. And so they they took some of that advice or, you know, maybe use those observations to do something. And the, they were talking about that. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. The idea that you hear the play-by-play and it almost becomes like a secondary coach. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really interesting to me. So Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know if uh, they're listening to the commentators as much as their coaches. Right. Because, you know, the coaches, you get your Mickey in the corner. You right. Know? Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. yeah now but, there's uh, no trouble hearing them. You know, there's no trouble exactly. hearing the, the coaches in the corner. It was funny, the post-fight conference. Uh, 
Dana White always comes out for the post-fight conference and he gives the statistics and stuff. And he's like, so, uh, zero attendance, zero profit <laughs> from, you know, p- ticket purchases. Uh, yeah, he's got <laughs> questions. It was interesting because he always comes out and the first thing before he starts taking questions is, is he always gives the statistics. And it was really funny seeing him just like, yeah, nothing. Yeah. Nope, nothing. I, but, I'm uh, ready no. for it. I'm ready for spectatorless sports. I I think in in maybe not long term, and I still believe there's something beautiful about lots of people coming together to root for the same thing. That's really fun. I think there's a, a community aspect to it, a celebratory aspect to it that is meaningful. But I, I'm ready for at least a season to see how sports leagues can be creative and finish off the NBA season or the NHL season or whatever the case may be. And maybe they won't, maybe they'll just skip the end of the season, yeah. but well, knows? maybe they'll do a, uh, a distancing thing for the arenas. Like they'll only sell tickets for seats six feet apart and stuff like that, you know? So no, don't sell out the entire arena just to yeah, but rack that- up the price on like, like really raise the price up on tickets. I think they would just raise the the price on broadcast. So they would they would raise the the price on either pay per view or the idea of the advertising for it, that kind of thing. Because honestly, mm. if the NBA came out right now and said we're going to do a single elimination tournament to decide the champion of this season based on the standings, uh, it, it people would go crazy for that. Like people who don't even watch basketball yeah, anymore make, would be make like a the, March Madness yeah, of the NBA. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I, I'm all for the creativity. Let's let's do something interesting. Uh, speaking yeah. of interesting things, uh, we've got some movies and TV to talk about. Uh, this oh week. yeah, so that's uh, what we do. Well, yeah, exactly. So let's get on to it. Uh, let's kick it off with a little uh, chat about bad education. Good morning. I wanted to make a difference. Look, we did. I got us all the way to number four, and I will get us to number one. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. They want me to write an article about the new budget. Oh, okay. Soundbite. Nice. You want to write this down, or you... Uh... I'm taping. Oh. Okay. It's just a puff piece. It's only a puff piece if you let it be a puff piece. Come. What? Quick. Uh... A Long Island school superintendent and his assistant are credited with bringing the district unprecedented prestige. Frank is a master of positive messaging, whether before an audience of community leaders or in an office with a concerned student or parent. That changes when a student reporter uncovers an embezzlement scheme of epic proportions, prompting Frank to devise an elaborate cover-up. This stars Hugh Jackman, uh, comes from HBO, uh, also some other great talent here. Allison Janney's in this, Ray Romano stepping in, Alex Wolf, uh, who you may know from Hereditary and the Jumanji movies. Uh, lots of good stuff in the casting department. But what did you think about the movie? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I think it's just okay. Yeah, I I think I'm above that. I think I liked it. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had a good time with this one. Uh, I got I got issues with this movie, uh, but they're also uh, it, it it's one of those things where like 
I, there's things I really like and then things I really dislike. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of balances out to okay. What category do you want to want to start into first? What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the true story aspect of it first, or do you want to talk about the execution of the movie first? Uh, I'll let you talk about the true story aspect of it because it kind of ties into one of my negatives. Okay. Yeah. So it's it is the classic Hollywood idea of based on a true story. Which basically means we took the facts and we made them work for a dramatic presentation. Uh, The student reporter in this is given a lot of credit for bringing them down, figuring it all out. And it's true there was an article in the student newspaper, but it came from a pretty big tip that was given to them. And it wasn't like a journalistic, you know, adventure that they were going on. It was more of a reporting of what had been given to them. Um, other than that, it's, there are a couple things, especially with the, uh, relationship between Hugh Jackman and his partner that are very different in real life. Uh, they apparently in real life had an open, uh, marriage slash relationship where he knew about this other guy in Vegas. Uh, and, but in the, uh, in the movie itself, that's almost played as a plot point where that's the reason that he ends up getting caught or whatever the case may be so oh yeah yeah hell hath no fury like a lover scorned sort of thing but that didn't necessarily happen in the you know in the real story of what was going on so yeah um yeah it's just one of those things where for me i go okay movie what are you presenting me and did i have a good time with the the way you told the story and in this case i really did uh i i really enjoyed the way the plot moved I think it hits the main. It's not a. Um, speaking of Hugh Jackman, <laughs> it's not, what was the what was the musical, the P.T. Barnum musical, um, Greatest Showman. Yeah, it's not Greatest Showman where the way it uh, changes the true story impacts the actual definition of the morality of the the protagonist. It's not that kind of thing. It just changes it in a way of the the plot is different and the reasons are different. But I feel like it gets across the point of what happened in this story with this school and so yeah i had i had a good time with it yeah uh, i hate to start off with a negative but it just ties into what you just said my main negative with this movie is it didn't give me enough to it made uh allison janney and hugh jackman too likable for them to be the bad guys like it focused so much on the positives of their personality, like Hugh Jackman always, you know, knowing student names and remembering mm-hmm. people and really wanting to strive to make it the best school district, you know, out there. But it didn't focus enough on, you know, the embezzlement aspect of it for me to, like, really, like, oh, yeah, this is a bad guy. I shouldn't like him. I really need to root for this girl reporter who I think is incredibly underused in this movie. Yeah, I I don't know that I fully agree with that. I I think that makes the movie better that we get to see human beings as villains. You know, it, it steals a little bit of the thing that, that movies do where they have the villains twirl their mustaches. And it says, no, these were human beings. I, I think both things can be true. I think it's probably very true that this, this actual person did care about the students, did care about what was going on at the school. Um, just made a huge lapse in judgment and a, a huge immoral decision about how he was using the money 
that was coming in for his own personal gain. Um, and that's wrong and awful, but it can both be an awful decision and an awful choice and still have another part of your personality that is doing good things. Like, I think that's very real. And so for me, mm-hmm. I think it kind of makes the movie better in some ways. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really think of it that way, but that makes sense, you know, to think that... I, I and Also, I want to be clear, I don't think that the movie was trying to uh you say hey they're not really bad people you know what they did was bad right and i think that it displays that but i also think that for for my personal taste i think that you need to show me a little bit more deviancy on their part for me to be go oh yeah they are the bad guys because for me it was like yeah they may have embezzled but they cared so much about the kids that it kind of you know from the from my perspective, watching a movie, like, oh, yeah, it kind of negates everything they did because they just cared so much about making this the best school district. Yeah, I like wrestling with that, though. I think it's important, too, that we wrestle with that because we are in a society right now that wants that that tends to want to demonize people who believe differently than we do. Right. The idea is you're either for us or against us. And if you're against us, you're evil. You're a villain. You're, you know. And I think it's just real life is so much more nuanced than that. And I think there are people who you would look at part of their lives and say, that is an amazing stand-up person. And you'd look at another part of their decision-making in their lives and go, that person's awful. And I just think that's the that's that's all of us, right? We all have that to some level or another. I have things that I know if people saw about me, they would go, what is up with that? You know, And they would judge me for it. Um, and I think we're all like that in some ways. Uh, this is just one of those. Are you embezzling podcast money? <laughs> I am not. I am not embezzling any of our membership money. No, that is that is not happening. Cons- Are cons- you taken away from the roofing crew? <laughs> yes. We we are uh, we are upgrading one of our uh, showers at the house right now. But my wife is doing all the work, so <laughs> I think that that should answer that that question uh, fairly um, fairly. Uh, significantly uh so but yeah but i just i think there is something about the idea that humanity is more complex than villains and heroes and uh in this movie again i think goes to great pains to make sure we see how awful those the embezzling part of what they're doing is uh but it also goes to the same great pains to say the the interpersonal part of especially Hugh. I didn't necessarily see it with Allison Janney. I thought the Allison Janney character was was pretty and unlikable throughout. I didn't see much about her character that the movie takes time to say, you know, but yeah, she's a, uh, the the fluffing was way more on the Hugh Jackman side. Right. Yes. I agree with that. Um and I and I again, I found it fascinating. There's even a a, a sentence and by the way, we're playing a little looser with spoilers here just because this is a true story and you can look a lot of this up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the the uh, there is an interesting line in this movie where he's wrestling with why he did it. And he says something along the lines of, you know, I didn't set out to do this. It just kind of happened piece by piece. And that is so true about how people make bad choices. You make one bad choice. No bad consequences happen. And you there was some selfish gain from that choice. So you make another bad choice. And and before you know it, those choices are elevating and you're making horrible choices, but the consequences, and by the time the consequences come, you realize, how did I get here? You know, like that is what happens with, you know, uh, I've seen that happen with people in, in moral decisions and those kind of things. So I think that's very true to humanity. And uh, 
I don't know. I, I like that part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, I, I struggled, <clears throat> sorry, even though I struggled with the, uh, the display of the characters' intentions and stuff, that doesn't take away from the performances that the actors are giving in this. Because I think that both Allison Janney and especially Hugh Jackman are fascinating to watch in this. I think they're doing an incredible job. Yeah. Especially Hugh Jackman because, uh, yes, the it does focus a lot on his, uh, his love and passion for the school district and stuff like that. And I really bought into that with him. I thought he did a very remarkable job. I was really impressed with uh, a couple of uh, the performances. Um, I think the uh, the Hugh Jackman performance is great, like you say. Uh, Allison Janney, I just she blows me away. I I'm so impressed. Oh, she's so good. I, every time she's behind the camera, I'm just like. You're so great. <laughs> and I'm falling so much in love with Ray Romano. Like, I just, he's making some great choices these days. And I just, I'm really, and, and I've always enjoyed his comedy. And I, I liked Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, but to see him kind of stretch his dramatic chops over the last few years, I've really enjoyed it. And it's not like he's, it's not like you feel like he's trying too hard or taking roles beyond his means or anything. He's just being those characters and he does it so well and so naturally. Yeah. Uh, I also want to shout out uh, Raphael Cassell in this too, mm -hmm. who, you know, we love from Blind Spotting. Yeah. Uh, he, a completely different uh, character for him here uh, from that. Uh, and it just, you know, shows the range that the guy has. And I think he is going to be one of the, like, up-and-coming actors to keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jimmy Tatro in this as well, um, who you may know from American Vandal, uh, doing some good oh, stuff, Oh, gosh, too. yeah. So. Uh, I love Jimmy Tatro. He is so good. Uh, ever since I uh, was watching his YouTube videos... To see him now, like working across from Allison Janney, is it's weird. Like <laughs> I used to watch that guy make weird, goofy YouTube videos back in the day, yeah. and now he's working with Allison Janney. So good for him. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's a he's a character actor. Like he's he's playing that same character over and over again, but he's nailed it. Yeah, you know, he's nailed that character. Another thing I, I really enjoyed about um, Bad Education is that it is willing to have these complex conversations about the educational system. And there's this moment where uh, Hugh Jackman and Ray Romano are having a conversation towards later on in the movie. And and Hugh is trying to work his way out of it. And the Ray Romano character's response is just very blatantly like no like it's you know i hope you get help i think he says or something like that oh yeah and uh and i just i look at at throughout this thing conversations like that there's conversations earlier on where it's like the the movie is both willing to deal with the audacity and awfulness of their decisions and also the idea that our school system has some flaws that need addressing the idea of you know the pay for for teachers. Now, I I look at the pay for this superintendent, which I think uh, the movie even says afterwards he's still receiving because of pensions, even though he stole all this money from the school. Uh, the yeah, it's an oversight in the uh, yeah 
the contract or the legal system. I don't forget what it said. So, but he's making 170 some grand a year. And I look yeah. at that, of course, in and I'm prison. like, in prison. <laughs> and I look at that and I go, okay, you're pretty well paid. But then also there's, yeah. you know, there's ideas of uh, where he was and cost of living. Uh, the idea of, you know, the, com- the, uh, the comparison of what he was making versus the people in that community, what they were making, what they were doing. And the idea that he's the superintendent, not necessarily the teachers. So the teachers aren't necessarily making that much. I just think this movie is very willing to deal with the complex issue of why don't we pay our educators more um, because this, this can ha- greed can happen in this way, especially when somebody feels like they're not getting what they deserve. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to throw in? Um, as far as negatives go, um, I really didn't have many. Uh, I liked this, uh, this movie quite a bit. Um, I th- I think for me there were only there were a couple times that this movie felt a little I'm trying to think how I'm going to use the word precocious like the movie almost seemed a little too um uh, preachy is not the right word but it's the right concept the concept of it, it was a little bit more bright and shiny and uh, sharp edges than it necessarily needed to be. Almost like it wanted to be a full-on satire at times. Um, yeah. But then, it, but then it also wanted to be a genuine authenticity real world at times. And I'm yeah, not sure like completely balanced Parts those. of the movie, it wasn't taking the gravity of it all seriously enough. Right. But then other times it was. And, I'm, and again, I loved it. So I'm not sure it doesn't work. I'm just saying there were moments where I felt it, where I felt it was like, wait, are, uh, did we change the tone of the movie a little bit here? So, yeah. And, and again, you can do that successfully. And for the most part, I think the movie does. But on a, in a few moments, I, I did feel that. Yeah. Anything else you had? Uh, I think that uh, Geraldine uh, Viswanathan, who was the girl, Rachel, in this, uh, it was interesting. I think that her story was... It, it, this isn't on her, obviously, but I think her story wasn't, uh, you know, fleshed out enough. I think that they could have worked on that to make it more uh, intriguing and made me care to learn more about, you know, the backstory with her and her family and stuff like that. It just, it seemed like it was just thrown in at the last second to give her character a little bit more depth, but I don't think it worked. Well, it's... Again, it's interesting because in real life, I'm not sure her role was as big as the even the movie has it. So you wanted more yeah. from that character, whereas the movie gave that character more than even real life gave her, I think. So it's kind of like, and I get yeah, that. Yeah, but she's, a, she's the main driving force of the plot, yep. though. She yep. may not have been in real life, but for this movie, I just... Besides Hugh Jackman, I think she's the main character in this movie, and I don't think that she was utilized as a uh, story uh, element. I I would agree with that. I would also say those moments are there. I would agree with you that maybe there aren't enough of them. Uh, I found the the scene with her and her father um, really compelling. Uh, I found the the part where she asked her dad about his history and insider trading and that kind of Mm, stuff really powerful. And, uh, and so it, there are some scenes there that, that do work with that character and do push us forward on the idea of journalistic integrity and pursuing things. You know, the, it, the idea that the whole thing is kind of a self-own 
because the superintendent is the one who tells her to be a real journalist and dig deeper. And it's like, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, he pushes back on that pretty quick. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but I think I think maybe you're right. I think possibly there could have been more, um, especially considered considering what you said, her being the driving force in the plot. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, overall, I think it's a recommend, though. Especially if you've got HBO. I would still recommend it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's parts of this movie I really like, like the performances and stuff like that, but there's just there's some negatives for me personally that just keep it from being like, oh, I like that movie a lot. So it's a, it's a high okay for me. Yep, and it's a solid like for me, maybe even a high like the more I talk about it. Um, I, I, I think it's just there's, there's some really, really... F- Fun is an is a is an interesting word to use, but there's just some there's some joy in in kind of watching this movie and and watching things take place. So yeah, big yeah. recommend for me. Uh, let's, awesome. Let's move on to the best ever challenge for this week. We're going to talk best ever Hugh Jackman movies. Um, cool. Hugh Jackman? Did you say who? I said cool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said who. Uh, who is this Hugh Jackman you speak of? Who Jackman? Hugh Jackman. Who Jackman? Hugh Jackman? No, who Jackman? No, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> who Jackman on first? I've been working out. You've been working out? Hugh Jackman. Uh, all right, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's get into it. I think this is a maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is probably an obvious number one, and then we'll see how the others go. Uh, but uh, but yeah, let's let's take a look at it. We'll start at number five and work our way to number one, and then maybe talk about some honorable mentions. He said quite I'll tell a- you right now, you and I have different number ones. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm glad but to hear it. It's my it's my number two, so yeah. there you go. Um I'm glad to hear it. I will also say the uh one of the stipulations on this uh best ever challenge was only oh, one yeah. movie where he plays Wolverine. Uh so that just zoomed down what, nine movies to one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However many there were. Uh I, I and here's the thing when I look at his filmography. Because you just think of him as Wolverine, and you just think, man, he played Wolverine for so long. I think it's incredible how many other movies he was in while playing Wolverine. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe it's oh diff- yeah, maybe it's different than the Marvel thing. I mean, I know Chris Evans was in a few movies over the course of playing Captain America, but not this many movies. But maybe it's different Marvel than X Men, just because there have been kind of starts and stops and and those kind of things. But um, but yeah, yeah. when was the first X Men movie? It had to have been. When was the first X-Men movie? Yeah, it, it came out 2000? in 2000. Yeah. So he's been doing that all the way up until Logan, which was, what, 2017? Yeah. So 17 years, this guy was Wolverine. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, you really get a sense. Uh, he's, he's done an excellent job in his filmography of putting in different kinds of movies to continually remind the audience that he's not just Wolverine. And I, I think yeah. that's really smart. And I, as I was looking at his filmography, I was very impressed with his movie choices and the the way he continued to say, I'm great as Wolverine, but I can also do this. And uh, yeah. props to him. Props to him for sure. Um, why don't you start at number five? Andrew, what do you got? The Fountain. Yeah, that's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's one of uh, Hugh Jackman's weirder movies. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the safest way to describe it. Uh, it's a Darren Aronofsky film, and it's a very ambitious Darren Aronofsky film about uh, 
uh, I guess you would say like reincarnation and stuff like that and trying to find love through time and stuff like that. So we got uh, Hugh Jackman in this, but we also have Rachel Weiss and uh, Ellen Ellen Burstein. It's just a it's a fast. I think it's a fascinating movie. I could definitely see this being a uh, people walking away going that was the dumbest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> but I can honestly see it because it's such a uh, what would you call it? it's such a an acquired taste, I guess. Sure, it's Aronofsky. Yeah. Trying to trying to say without you know sounding pretentious, but uh, it's not a movie for everybody. I think is a better way to say it. But I think that the visual uh, elements of this movie are just absolutely gorgeous, and seeing uh, uh, Hugh Jackman play these characters throughout time and how they're subtly different yet the driving force between every single one of them is just amazing i really like this movie i enjoy it as well uh i i think aronofsky is one of the most interesting filmmakers to have ever worked i he's very much an artist and really takes uh pride in just doing things artistically and differently and not caring about if it's you know something that is um uh, you know um marketable you know there's just there's it just doesn't seem to be one of his concerns and uh yeah i think the fountain is good i think it's a good choice nice what do you got at number 5 my number 5 is real steel nice i will mention for me so uh this movie is better than it has any right to be and i think a lot of it has to do with Hugh jackman it's such a silly concept it's it's even silly execution in some ways but I buy it. I, I've I've seen this movie several times, and every time I'm just like, "This is fun. This is exciting. I believe it. I'm I'm rooting for what's going on here." And it's just like you're just watching make believe rock'em sock'em robots, but it's there's yeah. just something really captivating about it for me. And I oh, think, it is definitely the rock'em sock'em robot movie. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. And, 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 you know, for me, I'm like, maybe this is the future of gladiator sports is so that, you know, we're not damaging human beings. We're just damaging robots. Uh, but, uh, but I don't know. It's, I, I think it was, um, one of those things that I wasn't ready to like as much as I did. And so that gave it an extra little bump of maybe I like it more than I should. Uh, cause that happens sometimes where something kind of blows away your expectations. So you end up mm. kind of rating it higher than maybe it deserves. But I think it's a good movie. I think it's a lot of fun. So I don't, yeah, I don't have any uh, problem I, putting it there. I remember whenever I first saw it, I uh, I didn't uh, obviously go in with high expectations. But I also think that for me, as I was watching it, I'm like, yeah, it's it's a Rock'em Sock'em mo- robot movie. So if it is as good as, you know, because you're not the only one who says that's actually a really good movie. I, I think that maybe it just, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not giving it its just dessert because I'm like, oh, it, uh, it's just uh, robots punching each other, which you know I've I've given higher praise for movies with way worse plot synopses mm-hmm. than that. Yeah. So uh, maybe I just need to give it a, a second go around, but I do think it was fun. It's a sixty uh, percent on rock, Rotten Tomatoes, um, and that that feels about right for for what people. I remember people thinking about it. I think it's better than that, but I'm I'm in the sixty percent that would give it a positive rating. I guess so. Yeah. Nice. What do you got at number so, four? This is where I got my Wolverine movie. Yeah? I'm going to go with X2, X-Men United. Interesting. I mean, that's a good choice. I, I like that movie. I like it quite a I bit. I think out of... It's my favorite out of all the X-Men movies. 
Yeah. Uh, the the introduction of Striker, uh, and I think that the the way that that plot goes, where Xavier isn't you know there to save the day and stuff like that, and the attack on the school, and uh, teaming up with Magneto, you know stuff like that, just. Oh, everything about that movie, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, and the beginning of that movie, the introduction of Nightcrawler in the White House is one of my favorite scenes yep. in all the X-Men movies. Yep, 100%. I'm oh totally with you there. Gosh, that scene is incredible. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me that the X-Men franchise in however many movies have happened since then have failed to live up to the promise of that scene because i agree i that scene blew me away and still does and still is, does is one of the primary reasons that nightcrawler has become my favorite x-man is the mm. portrayal in that movie yeah oh and it was uh alan cummings who uh did nightcrawler wasn't it yes yep oh he killed it he killed that role he was so good yeah for sure yeah. uh, all right uh what do you got at number four my number four is flushed away the animated dream of DreamWorks film. Is it um, the rat one? Yeah, yeah. You know, rats and I toilets. I haven't seen it. <laughs> rats and toilets. Oh, that old cliche, rats and toilets. Oh, you know, that old genre, rats and toilets. Yeah. So uh, give me the synopsis for this movie. Obviously, I haven't seen it. Uh, what's it about? It's kind of, it's an interesting movie for me in several ways number one um even though this is uh a dreamworks i think technically uh it is the um i'm forgetting the name the the wallace and gromit uh studio um, oh uh i almost said Leica. i know but it's it's ardman yeah so, ardman. so it's ardman uh claymation type animation and so that's part of it that i i really enjoy uh there is a uh humor to it that i really think is great uh i think the performances uh in it are great uh hugh jackman kate winslet ian mckellen andy circus uh lots of lots of great stuff going on there um and it's just it's just kind of a fun romp through the the plumbing of the world as seen you know by <laughs> this uh this rat who's trying to get back to civilization so um that's awesome yeah no i i, I would check it out it's it's not it, you're not going into it expecting the emotion and meaningfulness of a pixar movie but you can go into it expecting the cleverness and sense of humor and fun of Wallace and Gromit, or um, you know, Chicken Run. Chicken Run, yes, exactly. Yeah, it kind okay. of is. It, Chicken Run gets a lot of the praise that I think Flushed Away might deserve some, as well. Okay, yeah. So is it that? Is it that really dry British mm -hmm. humor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll probably a lot of, like it then. There's a lot of that in there. Uh, has a 73 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so it's it's well liked, and I think it's it's well done. So one worth checking out. Awesome. My number three. What do you got? Eddie the Eagle. Yeah. I have that at number two, but we can go ahead and talk about it now. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, I love this movie. Oh, I love this movie so much. Me too. From, the, from viewing one, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I never thought, like, going into this movie, I would uh, love it as much as I did. I just remember walking away going, oh, that is such an uplifting an amazing story. The performances all around from Taron Edgerton to Hugh Jackman, 
just that dynamic from those guys. Taron Edgerton, honestly, I thought gave an Oscar-worthy performance in this movie. I, I don't disagree. He just, he just really became Eddie Edwards, you know, in mm-hmm. this movie. And uh, the passion and the drive, you know, from, you know, him being a little kid all the way up to, you know, being an adult of, I'm going to be an Olympian. I've always been fascinated with people with that uh, kind of mentality, the way that, that that wiring in somebody's brain works from, from a youth like saying, this is what I want to be. This is what I'm going to do. And then doing everything they can throughout their life to realize that one goal because I'm the exact opposite. Like, oh, I want to do that. And then I'll start to, you know, learn to do it. And then I'm like, oh, well, this thing over here is pretty cool too. My (laughs) attention span is not the best. I'm like a goldfish. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm always fascinated by people who have this, you know, this drive to accomplish a passion or a goal throughout their life. And I think this is like one of the best it might be one of the best sports movies I've seen. It's up there. It's definitely in the conversation. Like I said, I have it at number two of his movies. So obviously I yeah. love this movie as well. And, lot, and lots of people do. It has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it is it is really good. And I think one of the more underseen uh, movies that is this good. You know, a lot of people don't think of it as in the pantheon of Hugh Jackman films or Taron Edgerton films, those kind of things. And I totally agree about Taron. I think he's doing incredible work here. And this has, this has the one, two, three combo of Hugh Jackman giving a great performance, Taron Edgerton giving a great performance and the story itself already being very, very interesting and compelling. Yeah. The actual true story of this person is, one of those amazing stories and to see it so well portrayed and well captured in this movie it's just a joy oh yeah and also i think that the personality of eddie is just one of you know you can't not root for this guy it's a combination of innocence and uh just determination where you want this guy to have everything in the world because you feel he deserves it it's a it's a feel-good movie and you don't get too many of those when it comes to sports movies because there's always a, a an element of uh, not an underdog because this is definitely the epitome of an underdog story. But it's also something you find in a uh, sports movies is a, a a troubled past or something like that. You know, like something dark that the person is running from or fighting to escape. This movie is just happy. Yeah, there's struggles along the way, but you know that he just has that personality of like, oh, it doesn't phase me. I know I'm going to do it. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So you're, your number one is my number two. We haven't done my number so three yet. Oh, I thought you said, oh, oh, okay. So yeah, what do you get at number three? My number three is where I put my uh, Wolverine uh, movie, and I'm going with Logan as uh, the best movie that has Wolverine in it. Uh, nice. This may be a surprise to some people, uh, just because I've talked about the things I don't like about Logan. I think it makes some mistakes in assuming what a rated R X Men movie should be, or what the you know the fans would want the, that kind of thing. I think it, it, it trips over itself in some of those ways. Having said that, though, it's expertly put together story wise, mm. and oh, the, James Mangold is on 
yeah. firing on all cylinders. He's so I've I've really come to uh, enjoy James Mangold as a storyteller. I think he's a, a really adept at understanding the flow of scenes and how to move things from one place to another. And I just, I, and again, a lot of that has to do with so many people, whether it be screenwriters or editors or any of that stuff. But as the overseer, his films time and time again, just really take me on a journey and Logan is no different. And I think it is the most Wolverine that Wolverine has ever been on film. And that is, is even with those stumbles that I've talked about in the past is what makes it me for me the best movie that uh, Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine in and my third favorite Hugh Jackman uh, movie. So, so uh, quick question. I, I think you, you answered it, but just I just want clarification. Do you think this is the best Hugh Jackman performance or do you think it's the best X-Men movie that has a Wolverine in it? I think both. I, it, okay. It, when you say best Hugh Jackman performance, you mean as Wolverine? I, I as Wolverine? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think both. I, I think this is because he's allowed to be, you know, uh, harder edged as Wolverine and more true to the authenticity of that character. Uh, I think that allows him to play the role in a deeper, more meaningful way. Uh, and I, I also um, believe it is. It is the uh, the best movie that Wolverine has been portrayed in as well. Excellent. Uh, I get it. Excellent. Very nice. <laughs> uh, we already See, talked about my I knew, number two. I knew, was... you, I knew you'd like that. <laughs> we already talked about my number two is Eddie the Eagle. Um, yep. And your number two is my number one. Uh, at least you think so. What is it? I, I know so. <laughs> uh, your number one is The Prestige. Yes. Yes, it is. And so that is your number two. You want to talk about my number one which didn't make your list so we can save the prestige for the top yeah i think i know what your number one is um we yeah. can talk about the prestige first i don't care which which oh okay which way do you want i just to figured go? you know we we both had it the highest you know group together but okay okay sure no uh, let's, talk, let's talk about yours first let's talk about yours first uh, okay uh prisoners yeah that's what i figured yeah it's the best hugh jackman performance ever for me yeah. i think it is the it is like a masterclass in acting. That scene with uh, him uh, and uh, I almost said uh, it's, uh, Terrence Howard and uh, what's it? Is it Danny? Oh, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, what's his name? Prisoners. Who are you talking about in Prisoners? Are you you're talking? Yeah. Are you talking about Jake Gyllenhaal? No, Paul Dano. That's who I'm oh, thinking okay. of. The scene with uh, Hugh Jackman, Paul Dano, and Terrence Howard in the bathroom with the hammer, the where's my daughter scene, mm -hmm. is one of the most like anxiety and stress-inducing scenes since, I think, what's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss in No Country for mm -hmm. Old Men. Like, just on the edge of your seat going, oh my god, I nothing is... Uh, no cards on the table. Anything can happen right now. What is going to go on? And it's just a terrifying scene. And I think that every single person in this movie is like given an absolutely perfect performance. I love Hugh Jackman. I think he is perfect. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is great. And then you got Viola Davis, Melissa Leo being weird and creepy and cool. Terrence Howard and Paul Dano. 
I could just go through, through this entire ta- cast and just go, yep, you're great, yep, you're great, yep, you're great. <laughs> uh, well, in a little-known director named Denny Villeneuve, uh, you know, yeah. doing the direction. And uh, for a guy who has what I think, besides maybe Christopher Nolan, the best catalog of movies, like just a masterclass film after masterclass film, mm-hmm. I think that this is his best. I think this is the best uh, Denis Villeneuve movie. And you know how much I love movies like Arrival or Sicario or mm-hmm. Blade Runner. So to pick this out of like his entire catalog and go, no, this is the best, is just, I think, a testament to how much I love this movie and yeah. uh, how just interesting it is. I, I, I may need to do a rewatch on this. Um well, you know, I, I, for me, as much as I give this movie praise, I hope that I'm not overselling it to some people. But honestly, <laughs> I think this is a top twenty greatest movie of all time for me. I know. I think you're. I think you're being completely uh, uh, realistic with your assessment of the film and how it hits you. I, I don't think you're overselling it. Um, if somebody has the same taste as you, they're gonna they're gonna love this as well. Uh, I remember being. Uh, annoyed by the movie quite a bit and uh, a lot of that for me had to do with I didn't think the movie had much to say honestly like I didn't I didn't it didn't justify to me the pressure cooker it was putting me in and uh, the violence it was taking me through or whatever the case may be now uh, I have very different eyes today than I did seven years ago so it may be a completely different story if I rewatched it. And I, I wonder if this is one, especially knowing how much I love Arrival and I do enjoy Blade Runner uh, 2049, um, that, that Denny Villeneuve is really talented. And maybe if I can watch it with new eyes, maybe I'll catch, uh, catch something different and enjoy it more. So you're certainly not yeah. alone. A lot of people love Prisoners. Uh, it has an 80% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So Yeah. Uh, for me, it's a perfect movie, and I know you're number one you consider to be a perfect movie. Uh, obviously, I don't have kids, but I think that I totally bought into, um, what a parent would do in order to help their kid, or to save their kid. And I, the, the journey that Hugh Jackman took me on was one of just a jaw-dropping experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. You're number one, my number two. Take it away. It is the prestige. Uh, yep. what, what can be said that hasn't been said before, uh, other than I think this is Christopher Nolan. Uh, I think it's his masterpiece. And this is from a guy who, like you said with Villeneuve, uh, has many, many masterpieces. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think this is, is the, the one movie of his that I look at and I go, it is the, the perfect execution of of the perfect concept and it is it not only has a mind-blowing concept it has mind-blowing execution and the way the themes play on top of each other on so many different levels including the level of movie making itself is it's just it's astonishing to me uh, i've said many times christopher nolan is the mc escher of movie making and it is that same feeling of the impossible being possible with what you've done and yeah. just the cleverness of it uh, combined with the, just the, the practicalness of it. It's somehow both supremely clever and supremely practical. It just works. 
And uh, yeah, I, I it is obviously one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh yeah, it, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, it's <laughs> it was my number two. It's definitely in the top hundred movies of all time. Uh, it, I, f- I find this movie fascinating to see how the driving force between these two rivals, uh, former friends, goes. Like, the movie starts with them as friends, and then uh, it turns into a revenge story. But then, as it goes on, it evolves into a competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, just watching that that slow transition, I think that all the... Uh, the transitioning between uh, these two comes from Hugh Jackman's character, uh, as opposed to uh, Christian Bale, who I think Christian Bale's motives and intentions are unchanged throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that it's all Hugh Jackman who is uh, driving the uh, the animosity between these two. Yeah, yeah, and yep. of course you can't you can't. Uh, Throw away performances from Scarlett Johansson and Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, fascinating. Oh, and of course the late great David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. Yeah, with Andy Serkis <coughs> as his as his assistant. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good stuff all around. Um, yeah, I can I could watch this movie every night for the rest of my life. Uh, it's one of those kind of movies for me. Will you be watching closely? <laughs> I don't want to miss it. Uh, uh, all right, let's talk about the uh, the honorable mentions we might have. I only have a couple left. Um, yeah, okay. I uh, I would mention Les Miserables uh, just because even though there are flaws in that movie, I enjoy quite a big portion of it. And you mention um, Prisoners being his best performance, and I get that. I think Les Mis may be his actual best like actorly performance. Uh, I'm astonished by him in that. Um, he's doing such great work. Uh, unfortunately, Russell Crowe isn't up to the task as much as everybody else in that movie is, which is unfortunate. I, I remember watching that movie and coming away and hearing everybody, you know, like rag on uh, Russell Crowe. And I'm like, I don't think he was that bad. He's not. He's not. He's not. It's just when you compare him to what Hugh Jackman and, um, oh, why am I forgetting her name? What they're doing in the movie. Oh, Anne Hathaway? Yeah, Anne Hathaway. Uh, it, especially especially when the singing comes up, you can just tell, okay, well, you know, there's different levels. Um, yeah. And then the only well, other one... you know me, I'm not really a musical guy. But, right. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. The only other one I would mention, speaking of musicals, uh, is Happy Feet, um, which I think bears mentioning, at least for the first movie, uh, just because of what a joy it is to watch. As much as there is I don't like about that movie, and there is plenty... Uh, I think it's it's a really fun watch. Nice. Uh, I only got a couple others. Uh, and honestly, they're not great movies. Well, one of them is, but it, I couldn't put it in uh, my top because he's not he's he's a cameo. But uh, me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Oh yeah, that's a great movie. I had forgotten he was a cameo in that. Yeah, he's a uh, he's Wolverine. <laughs> right. technically yeah uh, the poster yeah <laughs> but, um so out of all the uh the wolverine performances i'm still gonna go with x2 over me earl and the dying girl <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, true that's funny. but it's a great it's a great movie all the way up until the end which i don't like the ending to that movie oh i love the ending to that movie yeah uh we can kind of spoil it uh 
but I don't like the uh, the uh, the revelation of an unreliable narrator. Yeah, I think that kind of just ruined that movie for me. Like nothing up until that point, you had given me any hints that I could not trust a narrator. And I'm not saying that an unreliable narrator automatically makes a bad movie. I mean, you look at movies like Fight Club, or uh, I could just go on with you know. Uh, but I th- there was nothing in that that was like, hey, you better not trust me. Because it's not like he mentally wasn't aware what was going on in the story he was telling, like with Fight Club or anything like that. It's that he decided to lie as a narrator, mm-hmm. and that that was different for me. Do you like uh, Do you like Big Fish? Love Big Fish. Isn't that similar? I don't think he's lying. I think he's uh, because there's an ex- in a mural in the Dying Girl. I think that he is telling a story that is not embellished in any way, which I think is what Big Fish is. I think that sure. is an embellishment, whereas in uh, me, me and Earl is uh, just straight up lying. Okay. Like an exact opposite. I could kind of see what you're saying, though, because it's like an embellishment of like what I wish would have happened. Right. Yeah. As opposed to what actually did happen, but just something about it just kept me from going, oh, well, man, I trusted you. Hmm. Whereas with, uh, I guess with Big Fish, I went into it, and at the beginning of that movie, you kind of get the sense, oh, this guy is a storyteller. I I need to take everything he's saying with a grain of salt. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, some others I'm just going to throw out there. Chappie is an okay movie. Eh. It happened, <laughs> and uh, Swordfish kind of just happened. Yeah, I wonder too. if you mentioned Swordfish. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of either of those movies, really. Um, totally. Yeah. So they have their. They have no, their yeah, moments. I'm right there with you. But I think out of the rest of his movies, I'm not going to mention like movie 43 or anything. <laughs> I'm not no. going to lie. Hugh Jackman has done some bad movies. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you look at Australia and just uh, that's cringy. Yeah. What happened with that movie? That was, I don't know. What a what a misfire. Yeah, interesting. It, it turned it turned into one of those. Uh, I don't know what you call them. Uh, not true romance, but you know, like during the '90s, you had those books that were sold at Walmart that had Fabio with his flowing hair. Yeah. Uh, on the covers of the books and stuff like that, it turned into one of those romance novels. Yeah. And like yeah, this isn't. It's just a. Just boring. You know, um, uh, more critics liked it than didn't. Uh, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's interesting. Um, I was just, I just, for me, it's like, how do you mess up Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, and Baz Luhrmann? Like, that just seems like that should be a, a no-brainer. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, it's kind of impressive that they ruined it. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's quite, a, quite a feat of skill yeah. to uh, mess that up. Uh, all right. Uh, or did you have another one? Nope, that was okay. it. Okay, all right. Before we head on to our next review, thank you so much for being a Sif Pop member. We appreciate you. Yes. Uh, membership starts at $3 a month. Lots of fun perks. You can check them all out at patreon.com slash Pop. And uh, we appreciate everything you do that makes Sif Pop possible in all its forms. Not just this podcast. Um, your support goes to help uh, reviewers on this podcast see movies uh, to review. Uh, but it also helps uh, as far as the uh, website goes 
for writers and uh, managing editor and all that kind of stuff uh, to be able to provide great content for you. So thank you for making Sif Pop a real thing. It means the world to me that you would believe in what we do enough to put your own dollars into it. Uh, if you're interested in supporting what goes on here, thank you so much. Just go to the, the website, patreon.com slash siftpop. And again, that's S-I-F-T-P-O-P. And uh, thank you so much for your membership. All right, let's talk about uh, Solar Opposites. These genius aliens are smarter than any man. Who knows what game of chess they're playing with us. Oh, don't throw that out. I can sell it. It has an unstable gray hole inside. You're an unstable gray hole. (laughs) Nice. That feels like I'm the only Slorpion who wants to escape this planet. What up? We're aliens. Make room at the table. You know, Terry, everyone in the neighborhood hates us. You guys want some peanut butter cookie? Oh, she's threatening us. I'm freaking out. A family of aliens from a better world must take refuge in middle America. They disagree on whether Earth is awful or awesome. (laughs) That is the summary of uh, Solar Opposites. Uh, Justin Roiland, right? Who did uh, Rick and Morty? Rick and Morty. Yep. Uh, Doing this one. Uh... Apart from his uh, his co-conspirator on Rick and Morty, um, kind of doing this one. Although, so he's one of the voices on Rick and Morty too, isn't he? He's Rick and Morty. That's what, so yes, by one of the voices, I meant both the main voices. Yeah. Uh, he also does the voices here as well. And you can kind of hear uh, a little bit of the comparisons. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk a little bit uh, about Solar Opposites. Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I love it. <laughs> of course I you do. I love it. Of course. I know. And <clears throat> I and there's a there's a bias because you know my passion and love for Rick and Morty is very sure. deep and powerful. This just feels like that show enough to where I can go like, "Oh yeah, if you're looking for something to hold you over until Rick and Morty comes back over, this is as close as you can get. Because the mentality, the vo- the way that Justin Roiland does his voice acting and stuff, even in the uh, the intro to this show, he has like a word flub that they keep in, and I think it's the funniest thing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh yeah, the space. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Going into uh, the, the space. <laughs> and... Oh, I just love it. And there's so many amazing, besides him, so many amazing voice actors. It's just, it's the perfect, you know, uh, holdover until Rick and Morty comes back. Yeah, let's talk about some of the other people you may hear. Uh, Thomas Middleditch. um, As Terry, yeah. Is in there. And Tiffany Haddish is doing some stuff. Uh, Jason Mantzoukas, who I love, is in there as well. And Alfred uh, Molina. Uh, also doing some some voice work too. So, yeah. As far yeah, as- you also have Mary Mack and uh, Sean uh, Guillambron, who is, if you ever watched the Goldbergs, I don't know if you watch that show at all. No, I haven't. Oh, the Gold. Oh, I think you would love the Goldbergs. I think that's a show made for Aaron Dicer. But um, uh, he plays a uh, yummy yummy luck. Uh, you also have some other amazing people on the show, like Andy Daly, Christina Hendricks, and uh, Jason Manzukas. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great show. Yeah. Uh, I haven't said officially. Uh, oh, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. Sorry. My like it, love it, anything like that. Um, and I have a hard time with this. Uh, I think I am going to go with loved it. I, I think there's there's enough here to put me over into that category. 
of um, really enjoying myself. And there's something oh, yeah. about the sense of humor that is just so contagious and you can't help yourself from giggling. But more than that, and I'll go ahead and go into what I my main positive for this show. It, it's very similar to my main positive for Rick and Morty, which makes a lot of sense. It's just so clever. It's just so mm-hmm. smart. And I, I am always going to fall the way of honoring uh, the intelligence of writing. And it's so weird to call something like this intelligent because it feels lowest common denominator, but it takes lowest common denominator and makes it clever, makes it intelligent. There are things this show way harder to do. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. I, I, this show does some things with the, the, it it has a whole second storyline and a second world. That's my main positive for this show is there are two shows in one here and Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's just so clever how that's done. It's it's so well executed, and the fact that the show titles and descriptions uh, follow the alien family, even when this second world is happening. So there's an entire episode that's pretty much dedicated to this second world. I think it's like the penultimate episode. I think it's the second to the last episode of the season. And the title of the episode is just something like, you know, what's the main guy's name, the main character, the main alien? Corvo. Oh, Corvo? Yeah. Corvo uh, goes to the zoo and steals a bear. That's the name of the episode. And the description is Corvo and his family go to the episode and or go to the zoo and, and get a bear or whatever. And it's like has nothing to do with what's going on in this other world. But if you look in the background occasionally during that episode, you will see scenes that involve a bear in the alien fate. Like it's just it's one of those things where that's just so smart. The idea that this show is about this alien family and even the episodes where it ne- it doesn't even really you don't even ever hear them. You just see them in the background that they still title the show that way. I just I love stuff like that. Just the meta-ness of so much of this is just so fun. Oh yeah, there's an episode, I think it's like the 4th or 5th episode where uh Yumyuluk with the koalas. Mhm. You, you and if you like watch that, if you rewatch that episode, there are koalas everywhere that are just in the background or in the foreground. You just don't notice them. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and you rewatch, you're like, yeah, they're everywhere, and I just never picked up on it. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's really smart in that way. Uh, it's also very funny. It, it just it, just a great sense of humor. Um, yeah, Roland I- has my number. I will say, uh, being on Hulu, they take full advantage of uh, the lack of television restrictions so the the show certainly has uh you know the the cursing that is in rick and morty but usually bleeped when it airs um is in there but then there's also some pretty explicit sexual stuff which i wasn't uh ready for in this show just because i'm not you know necessarily used to that in uh in rick and morty in that way uh and it's just like okay you know they're that's the world Hmm. they're living in right yeah are you talking about the teachers (laughs) yes yeah Yes. Yeah, they don't hold back on that. No, no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> so, yeah, just uh, for take that for whatever it's worth in your world. Um, to know that that's uh that's happening in Solar Opposites as well. Uh, Do you have any negatives? I don't really have negatives. Uh, other than I, you know, have to wait however long for another season. Um, yeah. So no, it's it's really good, and I'm in the loved it camp. I there is part of me that's. And, and I'm going to talk about this uh, with my buried treasure as well. Um, but there's part of me that wonders with things like this, especially when I watch them binged like this. You know, by the way, I binged the entire season. I'm, it sounds like you did as well. 
Um, I have two episodes left. Oh, so you haven't seen the second to the last episode that I was talking about. Um, no. You are in for a treat. Um, so, yeah, I, I when I binge stuff all together like this, some of the, oh, that joke is really kind of the same as every other joke, thing starts to poke out. So there are things that happen that are natural when the same writer or creators are making material and they make a lot of it. Where it's just like, yeah, that's funny, but you've kind of told that joke in seven other ways already. And so mm. there, in, in Rick and Morty is really dealing with uh, this as well, um, which, by the way, Rick and Morty is back. There's been two episodes this season. Oh, yeah. Uh, or this second I guess I guess season. I should have clarified. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you are waiting for a holdover for the next episode of Rick and Morty, <laughs> right, you yeah, can yeah, watch yeah. Solar yeah. Opposites. But Rick and Morty did this thing in the the first episode back for the second half of the season, just this really over the top meta story, right? And yeah. and they made they kind of took it to the limit of making fun of themselves and kind of what they do, and that's fine. I, I think that's good. I think that's healthy. But it does kind of uncover part of the issue, especially with watching things back to back to back, which is it all begins to feel. A little bit similar and i did have a little bit of that with solar opposites there was you know a time or two where i was like yeah it's that's really funny i'm laughing i'm loving this but you're kind of just making the same joke over and over um yeah so so yeah but if i it's love a, all if the, it's a great joke, the hulu jokes yeah yes yes those are in there as well uh because if it's a, if it's a great joke and you're you know you're you're telling it over and over that's that's fine that's called a running gag that's okay yeah <laughs> like, you know. i love running gags repetition humor always works for me yep 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 and i and and again that's why i come down on the side of loved it because i know that complaint is it's not a strong complaint uh it's not really a complaint at all it's just a recognition of my brain at times will be like um i've heard i this see what before. you did there yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know what you're going with Yep. So, uh, so no, no real negatives other than that. Do you? Which did you find more fascinating, the the main story with Corvo and Terry, or the other story? Um, I think I, equally. I think. Really? I think they're both. They they both do some very interesting things. I think what's really nice about the secondary story, and I can't believe you're saying this without having seen the second to the last episode. Um. But uh, but what's what's great about that story is it's it's so unexpected that the investment the show takes gives to it is beautiful, and that I think that elevates it a little bit in my perspective. It's more of a linear story as opposed to Corvo and Terry's, which you know is more uh, like a, a, just a random Rick and Morty adventure. You know, like yeah. here's the adventure of the week. I think the other story is more like a cohesive and you're curious about how it's all going to unfold in the end. Yeah, and I will tell you uh both that and just the way the show is manufactured in general really do add a level of rewatchability to this series that uh I I don't feel with a lot of animated comedies. Like there's yeah. just there's this aspect of I kind of want to go back and watch the whole season again because of how clever they've interwoven those stories. Excellent. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Definitely, definitely a recommend for the discerning viewer. Oh yeah, it's a strong recommend for me if you know my style of humor and if you pretty much okay. It's it's obvious if you like Rick and Morty, you'll like this. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that's a, a a pretty um pretty fair observation. Yeah. Ready to move on to uh, buried treasure? Let's do it.
Uh, I'm going to let you go first. What do you got for your buried treasure? Man, I was sick and tired of seeing all of these commercials and trailers for Quibi. Yeah. I'm like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And uh, because the the one that the show that like kind of sold me to like finally sh- uh, try it out was Most Dangerous Game, which is one of my favorite books. Yeah. Or short stories or whatever. Starring, and this one has uh, Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz in it. Man, it's good. It's really good. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, and it stinks that it's good, though, right? It stinks that it's good because, and it's not even the best show on Quibi. It's, but I, I think it's a great jumping off point into understanding the style of what Quibi is about, of 10 minute or less episodes. Mm-hmm. So you can go through an entire season. It's just like watching a movie, which which for me kind of begs the question, why not just make a movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. But for some somehow, that stylization of breaking it up kind of works. And I don't know if that's, you know, the, uh, it's, uh, what would you call it? A uh, shining a light on the fact that I might have a short at- int- attention span. Right. But I did, with uh, Most Dangerous Game, I just did end up just watching every single episode back to back to back. Right. But, uh, no, it's it sucks that there's another streaming service that has good content on it that I'm like, oh, fine. I guess I'll watch all the good content on this platform well, now. Well, I mean, you don't have to worry about it too long. Quibi, Quibi will die a very painful death very quickly. Um, <laughs> that, that, yeah. ser- that, that service has... Uh, there's stuff coming out this week about how bad their numbers are uh, that is just astonishing. And Really? He- here's the thing. Um, we haven't really talked about Quibi too much on this show. Uh, the content that they are making for Quibi, I've heard from multiple people, is good content. They unfortunately made the mistake of thinking they were smarter than their audience and that they understood what their audience wanted more than the audience itself did. And so they locked themselves into this only on your phone mindset. And it's just not how people want to consume this type of content. Um, yeah. And there are some who don't mind. I have, I have friends who are like, I don't understand. I watch TV on my phone all the time. And I'm just like, for a lot of us, no chance. There's no chance I'm watching great movies or television on my phone. I'm I am casting them to my TV or watching them through an app on my TV. Like I just I, I don't I, my neck will hurt. My wife can't watch with me. Uh, you you know what I mean? Like there's just there's yeah. it just it's just silly to me that they were like you know this thing that maybe a lot of the audience would want, which is fine. I'll I'll go through your app, but let me throw it to my TV. No, we're gonna disallow that because we know better than you. And it's just like it's just that arrogance of that mindset that I think will be their downfall. Um, So I am hoping that some of this great content gets uh, redistributed uh, to other formats or uh, whatever. And I know they're actually working on letting people put it on the TV now because they realize what a mistake they made. Um, And so maybe when that happens, uh, I'll be able to, to do some quibbying um, but for now, it's like, yeah, you may have the best cheeseburger in town, but you're forcing me to eat it in a restroom. Like, I just, I, you know, I, I want to eat my cheeseburger at my dining room table. I don't know. It's and, just, it's just one of those no, weird no. things. 
I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I want to uh, clarify, just in case I came off across saying this, it's not like it's the most incredible content I've ever seen or anything like that. Right. It's just really good content. Like, yeah. I found Most Dangerous Game to be an addictive watch. Uh, I had to watch the next episode. It's not the greatest uh, show of all time. Uh, there's, Like I said, there's even shows on the platform that are even better. There's one that... Uh, oh, man, it's a... Quibi uh, lights. What's it called? Uh, sorry. Uh, when the street lights go on is remarkable storytelling. It's up there with like Stranger Things as far as like a, a stylization with uh, episodes that are like 10 minutes or less. So you can just plow right through it and it's incredible. Uh, but I think uh, Most Dangerous Game is my favorite. It's not the best, but I think it's just, like, it's my bias of loving the story and the way that it's portrayed for a modern time. I think Christoph Waltz is giving a great performance. I think Liam Hemsworth is a fascinating uh, character. Or the character he's portraying is, like, fascinating. You really want him to succeed and stuff like that. It's, it's just a fun watch. If you can find a way to watch it for free, like, uh, I just got the, uh, the two-week free trial. And I just blew through it. I think it is more than worth that. Well, Quibi is free for for ninety days. It's it's free. Quibi hasn't cost. It won't cost anything for the first three months. Mm. Yeah. So I, you know, that's another thing that it's crazy how low their download numbers are, considering they're just giving it away for three months. Um. So yeah, it's it's wild. It, it's just it's just so wild to me. It's like I remember the story of Rupert Murdoch uh creating a magazine for iPads. Uh back in the day when iPads were like he was like all my friends have iPads. This is the future, but you couldn't like interact with the magazine except if you had an iPad. And it was like it's just the short-sightedness of you know, oh, I see where the future is going, so we'll do this and it's like, yeah, but you still have to see where the present is too. And, you know, kind of work your way there. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think the uh, exclusivity, it's fascinating how exclusivity can work on some things. Like uh, the original Facebook was college students only, you know? Mm -hmm. And that just drove up those numbers because you felt like you were in a special club or something. But with other things like uh, Quibi or uh, this Murdoch newspaper on the iPad exclusivity is its downfall. I think that's interesting how some uh, products and stuff like that work and others don't. Well, you're, you're talking about two different things, though. Exclusivity of um, the the people who have access to it is different than uh, the limited nature of how it is used. Uh, Quibi isn't exclusive. Anybody can download the Quibi app that has a phone. Like, it's, that isn't, it's not an exclusivity thing. It's a format thing. And so, you know, that's... Those are two different kind of ideas. I guess that's true. Yeah, playing into that. Um, either way, I I'm bummed. I'm bummed a little bit about it because you know I'm, I might enjoy that, but I'm just I'm not going to watch it on my phone. I just I don't enjoy that. It's annoying to me. So it's just mm. not happening. Um, what you got? Uh, you're we're, you're going to be very happy with my buried treasure, Andrew. <gasps> um, I know it. I know it. <laughs> do you? Yeah. There's several things you might be happy about. Um, what do you think it is? 
what we do in the shadows. Yep, you got it. Um, Yay! I, I watched uh, the movie, the Taika Waititi movie, and then uh, I am all the way caught up uh, all the way through season two to where it is currently at. Um, so, yeah, so that's about, what, 16 episodes? Something like that? Yeah. Six, 16 episodes of television? Yep. And uh, it's great. It's great. It's so much fun. I mean, obviously, I enjoyed it if I made it through the movie and 16 episodes. I will say through yeah. the first three or four episodes, I was like, the movie is so much better than this. The The movie is just, it's just great. Like, th- it's just such a great mockumentary. Uh, and the TV show is good, uh, at least for those first four episodes. Then I started getting into the characters a little bit more, understanding the world of the TV show just a little bit more. Um, I think the addition of the um, the energy vampire is a really fun little oh, twist. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Colin, maybe. Colin Colin Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoy that. Uh, I really, really love. Probably my favorite thing about the show is how aware it is that it is a mockumentary and how it is even ahead of the audience in thinking about what it means that this show has cameramen and uh, boom operators. And I just, I love it because so many of these TV shows just ignore that. And it's just like, it's just a conceit and it makes no sense. You know, the office or parks and rec or modern family, especially modern family. uh, It makes absolutely no sense. You know, when you start to think about what this camera crew is doing. Um, Yeah. It was recently, uh, we recently did an episode on TV Sins of Modern Family, the one where they walk in on the uh, the parents having sex. I think it's called oh, yeah. Ca- Caught in the Act. And uh, and after that, there is they cut to the kids running down the stairs, and then they cut back to the camera that's still in the room with Phil and Claire as they're getting dressed. So this, this cameraman, <laughs> apparently... When the kids opened it up, all they just stayed in there to watch them getting dressed. You know, there's like stuff like that is just you know when you actually start to think about it, it makes no sense. But what we do in the shadows is so clever with understanding what it means that the, there really is a documentary crew uh, doing this thing. So I, I really appreciated that. It's one of my favorite things about the show. Yeah. Um, and having said that, the only negative, again, is not really that bad of a negative, obviously, because I kept watching, is that there is a sameness to all the jokes. Um, you know, there is a very much a, you know, this joke, but done in this way, this joke, but done in this way. And the so fish out of water. Yeah. Trying yeah. to understand the modern era. Yes, yes. And so there is a sameness. And again, this is also a product of binging. I think if I, and now that I'm going to be watching it week to week, I think that will lessen the impact of this quite a bit. But when you watch them back to back to back to back, it really does start to feel like on occasion, and this probably even more than uh, Solar Opposites, uh, is just like, okay, that's that's the joke, and we're just, we're just doing the joke in a bunch of different ways. Um, so... But yeah, I, I really liked it though. That's a very minor thing. Yeah, uh, my favorite thing, or one of my favorite things about the show, is that there's not a main character I like more than another one. Like, there's shows like I think Modern Family is a good example. You can always have a favorite character on the show, and you're like, yeah, I'm not so hot on this one, but I got you know the these two over here that I really love. Mm-hmm. Nandor, Laszlo, Nadia, Guillermo, Colin Robinson. I love every single one of them equally. Yeah. I love that entire house. It's so great. I do like them all. I do have a favorite. 
who's your favorite? Guillermo. I love Guillermo so much. Gu- Guillermo. Oh, I love Guillermo. I, I love it, right, all the others too. Right from the beginning, Guillermo's my favorite, and Guillermo to me has the most interesting and unique plot point amongst the show. And I think that's part of why I like him the most too is that his his doesn't feel he he's actually having a progression of character that I think a lot of the others aren't. Um and I I I'm really liking and, and I'm curious to see where it goes, you know. There's that that aspect to it too. Oh yeah, they they made uh, the twist with his character is fascinating. Right, that's what I'm saying. So like like ooh, where could this lead? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, Guillermo's my favorite. But yes, what we do in the shadows is great. Thank you for continuing to recommend it and to uh, shove it down my throat and make me make me do my homework. Uh, I'm glad I, I made did. Aaron do something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we did it, man. Speaking of doing stuff, yeah, we did. We, we did a podcast. Uh, we made Woo! it happen. Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out today. Thank you, buddy. Huge thanks to uh, Phil for producing and editing the show. Appreciate you. Thanks, ya. Phil. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at 3 bucks a month, and you get access to all the bonus episodes as well as some other fun stuff. Uh, you can find out more at patreon.com slash Uh Lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to email us at feedback at sifpop.com. Uh, you can also leave comments where you listen to the podcast. Uh, feel free to rate, leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it and that listening is much easier than hiding two round-trip tickets on the Concord. Uh, <laughs> we will be back next week, and I think we'll be back to uh, doing some sift-shaming uh, and taking oh, care yeah. of some of those movies. So we'll see you then. Bye! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.